This morning we're starting a new series of messages. The series is entitled Breakthrough. And we're starting this morning with a, with a message that really only has one simple point. I don't think I'm going to be very long. How many of you believe that? <laughs> Never believe a preacher when he says that. Um, it's like somebody once said, what does it mean when the preacher is preaching and he looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. It means absolutely nothing. But, uh, but uh, I want to start with this. How many of you, how many of you are ready for, for a breakthrough in some area of your life? Somebody say amen. amen. Maybe you need a breakthrough in your spiritual life. Maybe you, you look at your spiritual life and you say, my prayer life is dull. My Bible reading is non-existent. Worship is more of a duty than a delight. I need a breakthrough with God. Anybody here who's brave, brave enough to say that? Can you say amen? Sure, we all, we all go through those times in our life, don't we? Maybe you need a breakthrough in your relationships. You're tired of relationships going sour. You're tired of living in unforgiveness. You're tired of living alone. You, you need a breakthrough relationally. Maybe you need a breakthrough in your finances. Maybe you, how many of you would like to have more money that, than month at the end of the month instead of the other way around? You know what I'm talking about. You, maybe you're ready to have the bill collector stop calling. Maybe you're ready to break the chains of debt in your life. You need a breakthrough financially. Maybe you need a breakthrough emotionally. You're tired of living in a prison of anger. You're tired of being chained down by the emotion of despair and you're ready for joy in your life. Your breakthrough may be spiritual. It may be relational. It may be financial. It may be emotional. It may be in your job. It may be in your spirit. But how many of you would say, God, I'm ready for a breakthrough in some area of my life today? Say amen. amen. Well, you've come to the right place. I want to encourage you to make every effort possible to be here every single Sunday for this series of messages. We're, we're starting today, and for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about receiving a breakthrough in our lives. And, and one message just sort of builds on, on the uh, one before, so try to be here if you possibly can. Uh, first of all, we want to talk about this idea that God is a God of breakthrough. I want you to turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 14. It's in the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles if you're not sure where it is, it's right before 2 Chronicles. <laughs> Let that one soak in for a minute. 1 Chronicles 14 tells a story of when David became king of Israel. Now, uh, we're, we're not going to go into the story in detail, but matter of fact, if you want to learn more about David, you can come Wednesday night. We're doing a Bible study on the life of David, and it's just, uh, it's just awesome, uh, and we, we hope that you plan on coming. But, but let's look at the story. David was anointed king by the prophet Samuel. Then eventually he becomes king of Judah, and he finally becomes king of all of Israel, which includes Judah along with the other 11 tribes. And let's look at what happened when he finally became king. Because you'd think they, that they'd throw a party, don't, wouldn't you think that? Au contraire. That's not what happened. Look at verse 8. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over all Israel, they went up in full force. Everybody say, full force. To search for him. But David heard about it and went out to meet him. Now the Philistines had come and raided the valley of Rephaim. So David inquired of God, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you hand them over to me? The Lord answered him, go, I will hand them over to you. So David and his men went up to, to Baal Perazim where, and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, God has broken out against my enemies by my hand. 
So that place was called Baal Perazim. Now what does Baal Perazim mean? Baal Perazim means the Lord who breaks out or the Lord who breaks through. He is the Lord of the breakthrough. And that's what I want to talk about for the next few minutes that we have together. And I want to walk through this passage with you and talk about. First of all, I want you to notice something here. First of all, notice the promotion. Everybody say the promotion. Okay, now you're already falling asleep and we're barely getting started. Everybody say the promotion. promotion. David gets promoted. He goes from being the king of one tribe to being the king of all the tribes. It's a huge promotion. It's the, really it's the fulfillment of the anointing that Samuel declared over his life previously. But we've got to get our timeline straight here because we read these things and they happen just a few chapters apart. But the reality is, is that Samuel came to Jesse and Jesse and he says to him, hey, show me your boys. Let me see which one of them is supposed to be king. And he says, not this one. No, not this one. No, not this one. Not this one. Is there anybody else? And Jesse says, well, I I got one little runt out in the field. Samuel says, all right, bring him in. And he looks on David and God says to Samuel, he says, God looks on the outward part, but man, uh, man looks on the outward part, but God looks on the heart. And he says, this is the one, David's the guy. And he anoints him with oil and he says, you're going to be the the next king of Israel. And then what happens? The next day, David becomes king, right? Oh, no, (laughs) not at all. The next day, David is back out in the field tending sheep. See, some of us, what we need to understand is this. There's a process to the prophecy. There's a process to the promise. David waits 25 years from that moment until he became the king over Judah. Then he waits another seven years before he becomes king over all of Israel. So if you add it all up, Samuel comes to anoints David around 1025 B.C., but it's not until 993 B.C. that David finally becomes king over all of Israel. That's 32 years of waiting. How many of you understand that sometimes you have to be patient with the Lord's promise in your life and not give up before the word comes true. Philippians 1.6, you all got to wake up a little bit this morning. You're going to have to help me a little bit. Philippians 1.6 says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He will be faithful to complete what he promised to do. Galatians 6.9, he said, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. But we need to remember sometimes there's a 32-year period between the promise and the fulfillment. The problem is is that we fall out during those 32 years. The problem is is that we grow cynical in those 32 years. The problem is we give up during those 32 years. I mean, what happened to David during those 32 years? He's chased around the desert by Saul. He's living in caves. He's... He's acting like a crazy man to avoid being killed by the Philistines. He's constantly on the run. I mean, listen to the people that David that joined David's army during that time. The Bible says that everybody was in debt. Everybody was depressed. Everybody was discontented. Everybody had a problem with their employer. Everybody that couldn't pay their bills. Everybody who had some emotional distress, they came and they followed David. And he's looking at them and saying, this is what you give me, God? So that entire time that, David, uh, that David was waiting, he still believes and he clings to the promise. And here on this day, the promise is fulfilled in David's life. David gets a promotion. So we see the promotion. The next thing we see is the enemy. As soon as David gets a promotion, here comes the enemy. Here come the Philistines. You're, how many of you remember Goliath? 
What was Goliath? He was a Philistine. Very good. I'm trying to give you the answers. I feed him to you. By the way, in church, always, if you don't know, just guess Jesus first. You know, he's the... Like the little boy, I probably told you this already, but little boy's in Sunday school, and the Sunday school teacher said, All right, everybody, what is furry and small, climbs trees and gathers nuts? A little boy raised his hand and said, Well, sounds like a squirrel, but we're in church, so it must be Jesus. So <laughs> always guess Jesus. Anyway, sorry, I apologize. So anyway, here come the Philistines. Thirty some odd years ago, David was battling the Philistines, and here he is, he's battling the Philistines again. You know what? Can I tell you this? Some people are only going to do what they're going to do, and that is that they are going to hate. Because haters are going to hate. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Not, I'm going to, this may be a revelation for some of you. Not everybody is going to be happy about your progress. Turn your neighbor and say, not everybody likes you. <laughs> Now, now look at him and say, but I do. Don't, don't, don't leave him hanging now. Not everybody likes you. You say, I, I got promoted at work. Somebody says, yeah, I wonder what they had to do to, to get that promotion. They say, I got a new car. Yeah, but they're in debt up to their eyeballs to get that thing. He's a, My kid got into college. Yeah, whatever. Your kid's a sissy or something, you know. Haters are going to hate. I mean, you've seen those st stickers, haven't you? I'm the proud parent of an honor roll student. And then some Yahoo comes up with a new one and says, my kid beat up your honor roll student. You know, haters are going to hate. You hear what I'm saying? Not everybody is for you. Not everybody is on your side. The Philistines were not for David. David gets promoted and here comes the enemy. And how does the Bible say the enemy came? The enemy came in what? Full force. And here's what you have to understand. The, the enemy comes against David because haters are going to hate. So we got the promotion and we had the enemy, but notice what we have next. We have the prayer. If haters are going to hate, then prayers are going to pray. David was a prayer. Every time something went wrong in David's life, for the most part, David turns to the Lord in prayer. And on this occasion, he's met with the full force of the Philistine army. And what does he do? He inquires of the Lord. He prays. He says, God, what should I do? Should I go attack them? Will you deliver them into my hand? He says, God, I need a breakthrough. And I know that you're the source of breakthrough in my life. He prays. Now, let me ask you this. When you, what do you do in your life when you need a breakthrough? What are you doing? Are you praying or are you just crying about it? Are you praying or are you just complaining about it to everybody who will listen to you? Are you praying or, or are you ready to give up on God? See, sometimes when the enemy comes in with full force, we're tempted to give up, we're tempted to give out, we're tempted to give in. But David goes to the Lord and he says, God, what should I do? Should I go and attack? Will you hand them over to me? Now that's important what, what it says there because David understands something. He knows that there's a partnership between him and God in this breakthrough. Do you see it? He says, shall I and will you? Proverbs 21, 31 says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. In other words, you do your part. You get the horse ready for the battle. You go into battle, but the victory depends on God. Listen, if you want a breakthrough, it's going to come through a partnership between you and God. If you want a breakthrough, it's going to be a partnership between the two of you. You say, I need a breakthrough in my finances. Oh God, I need a breakthrough in my finances. 
Listen, you pray over that checkbook and you can pray over that checkbook all you want, but until you sit down and make a budget, until you give God something to anoint, you're never going to see the breakthrough you need. You hear what I'm saying? There's something that you need to do. You have to give God something to anoint. People say, oh, God, anoint me. Anoint this. Anoint that. You've got to give him something to anoint. You know what? Our worship team, we already uh, recognized them and, and showed our appreciation to them. But they didn't just come in here this morning and say, oh, I guess what? Should we just sing a song today? Let's just throw it together. And, but there's work that goes into it. There's practice that goes on, into it. They've worked on those songs. This, the sermon this morning has been worked on. It's been written out, and, you know, and, and I did that so that I could come in here this morning and say, God, I've done my part. Here is something. Will you anoint it? If you're going to see a breakthrough in your life, it's going to come because you're offering God something to anoint. David says, should I go up to attack and will you give me the victory? You have to understand you're in a partnership with God. In any area of your life where you need a breakthrough, God has something for you to do as part of it. But then there's another part that only God can do. Let's go back to David's first big breakthrough with Goliath. Remember that? When he killed Goliath, David slung that stone when he, when he slung that stone at Goliath, how many times had David slung a stone before? You can't count. We have no idea how many times. That's what he did. He's out there taking care of the sheep, and he's practicing with a sling all day long. But on that day, that day with Goliath, God took David's physical ability that he had owned, and then he added something to it. He added some kind of anointing to it. He added some kind of incredible strength so that the stone flies through the air, not just on the strength of David's hand or David's ability or David's skill, but under the anointing of God. And that stone hits God. Goliath in the one place where he's vulnerable and cracks open his skull and Goliath says nothing like that has ever entered my mind before. It'll get you in a minute. <laughs> Took a while to get there, but Goliath falls down dead because God gave the breakthrough, but he anointed what David had to offer. David said, I can sling a stone, God. If you can anoint that, if you could use that, here it is. How many of you see what I'm saying here? You have to have something to offer. God has gifted you. God has given you abilities. You have to offer that up to him. But then here's the main point. Here's the big thing I want to talk about today. You have to ask yourself this question. How big is my God? How big is your God? Is your God big enough to slay a giant? Is your God big enough, uh, just big enough to give you, to deliver you from the hands of a full force enemy? Or is your God just big enough to give you goosebumps when the key changes in worship? Some of us are serving a God big enough to give us goosebumps when our favorite song is sung, but not big enough to keep us holy when we're frustrated at work or frustrated with our spouse or frustrated with our kids. Is your God big enough to walk you through the valley or is your God still there when you're up on the mountaintop? How big is your God? David had to believe. He, he came, here come the Philistines full force, and he's like, you help me beat one guy, Lord God, when you help me beat Goliath, are you going to help me take all of them down? I believe you can, but is this the time and is this the place? Should I go up and attack them? How big is your God? Turn to your neighbor and say, how big is your God? Okay, now you got to do better than that. Turn to your neighbor and ask them, how big is your God? 
I mean, do you have a Sunday morning God or do you have a seven day a week God? Do you have an hour and a half on Sunday morning, 1030 to noon God, or do you have a 24 seven God? How big is your God? If you want a breakthrough in your life, you have to determine that you have a God big enough to bring breakthrough in your life. You have to have faith. You say, I, I don't have a lot of faith. You know what? That's fine. That's okay. Jesus said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be cast in the sea and be cast in the sea. We forget this. It's not about the size of our faith. It's about the size of the God in whom we put our faith. You can have the tiniest amount of faith. You know, this is where, where we get wrong. We, we get all caught up in the wrong places and we think that it's up to us to have big faith. That's not, it doesn't matter how big your faith is. You can have a mustard seed grain of faith. You can have the tiniest amount of faith that you can imagine. But if you've got even just a little bit of faith, you put that faith in, the, in, the, in a big God who can do great things and you'll see great things happen. Listen, if you want to break through, you have to believe for something bigger than you had before. I'm going to tell you something right now, and this is going to be sobering for some of the people here. Your life is perfectly calibrated to get the results you're getting right now. I'm going to say that again. Your life is perfectly calibrated to get the results that you're getting right now. Can I tell you this? You have as much of God right now as you really want. You think he's holding out? He's not up in heaven saying, oh, you want more of me? No, not today. No, no, we're the ones that say, Lord, I want more of you. I want more of you. He says, come on in. Come on in. And we say, no, this is close enough. This is good. But I want more of you. Your life is perfectly calibrated to get the results that you're getting right now in your life. And if you want new results, then you're going to have to believe something different about yourself. And you're going to have to believe something different about your God. You're going to have to change your thinking about who God is in your life. That he is the God of everything and not just the God of some things. That he's the God of every day, not just the God of Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. That's what David had to do. He had to say, how big is my God? He said, my God is big enough to take out the enemy's army even when it comes full force. You know what? There's a story that's uh, been told about a man. Anybody here like to fish? Let me see your hand if you're a fisherman. I knew, I knew Lee's hand would be up. And this guy went out with his buddies fishing. And he would cast a line in the water and he'd pull a fish out. And, and, and if it was a big fish, he'd throw it back. I don't even know what kind of fisherman that is. And he'd catch a fish. If the fish was big, he'd throw it back. If it was little, he'd keep it. And his buddies would look at him thinking, but this is just really odd. And they began talking amongst themselves. Why is he throwing all the big fish back but keeping the small ones? It was just strange. It's like anti-fisherman 101. Everybody knows you keep the big fish and throw the little ones back, right? Finally, you know, they just couldn't take it anymore. And they said, hey, buddy, what's going on here? I mean, we notice you're keeping the little fish, but you're throwing the big fish back. What gives? Why are you doing that? He says, well, that's easy. I only have an eight-inch frying pan. He said, I don't have enough room for a big fish because my frying pan can only handle little fish. 
How many of you know what I'm saying? Do you have room in your life for a big miracle? Or is your God just a God of little miracles, of little stuff, of little victories? Or and can you believe God for something bigger in your life? See, you have to stretch your expectancy wide to let a big God in. I heard a preacher from Iowa tell a story one time several years ago. They had a refrigerator freezer, you know, regular old refrigerator freezer in their house. And, and his wife said, you know what, I want a freezer out in the garage because there's just not enough room. They had a growing family and they were church planters. And as church planters, you just don't have a lot of money. And, and, and they, would, they were trying to buy uh, frozen goods in bulk because it was cheaper. Uh, but they didn't have the money as church planters and they didn't know how, but they needed a freezer. She said, I need a freezer. And so she looked at him, the pastor he was actually preaching a sermon series called Make Room for Increase. And he was teaching that if you're going to believe God for something, you have to make room for it. And, and, and listen, I've got to tell you as a preacher, sometimes it's a little scary when your life, wife listens to your sermons and puts them into practice. Because then you're like, oh, Jesus, you better come through on this one. You know, anyway, she said to her husband, I want you to go out the garage. I want you to help me clear out a space because you just preached that we need to make room for the increase. She said, let's clear out a space where the freeze is going, and then let's just pray over that space and believe God. And he was like, okay, and inside he was thinking, Jesus, please, please, please. Now listen, God could have come through by helping them save money for a freezer. You understand that? There's many ways that God can, can bring an answer. But instead, he came through for them by somebody calling the phone saying, hey, I got this freezer I'm going to get rid of. And I was thinking maybe you, you could use it. Do you have a space for it? And he said, as a matter of fact, we do have a space for that fr freezer. And they put it right in that space. How many of you hear what I'm saying? I'm not, now I'm, listen, I'm not saying you can manipulate God into doing whatever you want and to get whatever you want. That's not what I'm saying. There's a lot of people think that you can, you can say the right words and you can, and you can um, force God to give you what you want. Listen, that is not faith. That's witchcraft. But that's a whole different sermon. Uh, I'm not saying you can't manipulate God. But I am saying that you have to make room in your heart for a bigger God. Turn your neighbor and say, how big is your God? You, you, you're, you're failing on me again. Let's say it again. How big is your God? Listen, I, I remember a time back when we were serving at the church in Twin Falls, Idaho. And Julie was working at the church, too, and one day she lost her keys. And, you know, she and my kids can tell my, all my stories, but she, she searched for them just high and low. She could not find them anywhere. And it was not just the house keys, but it was the church keys. It was all everything. And she, she asked me if I had seen them. I hadn't. So she searched the house. She searched all through the office. She searched the church. She couldn't find them anywhere she started getting a little bit stressed, and so she, she decided that she ought to pray. And, and she, she started to pray, and she said, God, please just help me to find these keys. And as she was praying, the thought entered her mind to go back into the youth room. Now, the youth room was back, you know, behind the sanctuary. If, if this was the church, it was back behind the sanctuary. There's a big room back over in this area. And, uh, and so, so she went back there into the youth room and, and, and he, she felt that impression go back into the youth room. And she went back there, by the way, even though she had already been there. But she went anyway. That's sort of like the disciples when they had fished all night long and they caught nothing. But Jesus told them, hey, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. Have you ever thought about that? That's just... If it were me and I'm the fisherman, the professional fisherman who has fished all night, and some guy walks up to the shore and says, Hey, 
why don't you try the other side of the boat? I'd be like, oh yeah, that'll work. Yeah, that's what, I didn't think of that. They've been hiding on that side of the boat all night long. But they did what Jesus said, even though they had fished all night long. They ended up catching so many fish, so many fish their boats almost couldn't hold the catch. Listen, when you hear the voice of the Lord telling you to do something that you've already tried, don't argue with him. Do what he says. You never know what's waiting for you when you obey, even when it seems like a silly thing to do. Anyway, that's free. No extra offering or anything today. Anyway, Julie goes back into the youth room. She looks around again. She doesn't see any keys anywhere. So she prays again. And this time the thought came into her mind and said, go outside through the exit door. Because the, the room had a door that exited out, out to the outer doors into a little grassy area. But again, that made no sense to go out there because we had just had a, a snowfall. There were probably maybe six inches of snow on the ground. It would be almost impossible to find anything as small as a set of keys. You can't find it under snow, right? I mean, but she just obeyed and she went outside. And as she stepped outside in that moment, at just the right moment, at just the right time, in just the right position, in obedience to the Lord, she stepped outside and she, she looked down and at just the, the right angle, she saw something reflect the sun, it was, the angle of the sun was just right, where she saw something in this little tiny hole in the snow that reflected uh, it glinted the, the light out of there and she walked over there and in the snow in this little hole that had punched through where she dropped it she found the keys she'd spent a long time searching for those keys but when she prayed God took them there in a, in a matter of minutes listen God helped her but she had to believe in a bigger God who cared about little details now and you may be saying to yourself you know what pastor Dave I'm not facing a little detail. I'm facing something big. I want you to know that it's still the same God. When we were pastoring in Reno, Nevada, there was a couple in the church who had been the founding pastors of that church, and they were still part of the church body when we were pastoring there. And one day I got the call that Maurice had been taken to the hospital and things were getting pretty serious. He had, he had, uh, he had a boil that had gotten infected, and, and he's like a lot of us guys. He did not want to go to the doctor. Can I say amen to all the men in here? And he didn't want to go to the doctor, and, and he got worse and worse, and they finally had to take him to the hospital. But by then, things had gotten really, really bad, and it continued to get worse while he was there. The infection uh, moved into his bloodstream, and he became septic. He was getting worse and worse, and nothing the doctors were doing was helping. And he was, by this time, well into his 80s. And just didn't seem to have the strength to be able to fight off this infection. And eventually the doctors told the family, there's nothing more that we can do for him. They told him to prepare for the worst. They said, we don't think he's going to make it. There's not much more that we can do. But his wife, Charlotte, is a woman of faith. And she, along with the rest of the church, began to pray. Can I tell you something? It wasn't in a matter of days after that, God raised Maurice up out of that hospital bed and restored him to full strength. And they said, there's nothing more we can do. And a few days later, he walked out of the hospital by his own strength. He should never have walked out of that hospital alive, but he did in just a matter of days. He was supposed to be dead, but there was a bigger God. Hear me this morning. You can have a God big enough to care about the smallest details and big enough to take on the enemy when he comes in full force. Look at what the text says, and then we're going to finish it up. Verse 11, he said, as waters break out, God has broken out against my, uh, my enemies by my hand. 
Look again. God has broken out how? By my hand. There's that partnership again. Give God something to anoint. He says God has broken out like waters break out. Here's the idea. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever lived in places where they have levees or, 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 or dams. Not the concrete dams, but the, 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 the levees made out of uh, like uh, soil and gravel and all those kind of things. Water, what happens in those situations? Water begins in a flood situation, begins to build up behind that levee. And, and if, it's not, if there's something wrong, if it, there's something that's not quite right with it, the, the water begins to penetrate through the mud and through the dirt and through the gravel of that levee. And the water begins to come out on the other side. But when it starts to come out on the other side, it's just a little trickle at first, isn't it? It's just a little bit of water. And soon, though, that levee begins to crack and the mud begins to give way. And what started out as a trickle soon bursts out as, as a breach in the levee. And all that water begins flowing out and sweeps that levee away. Here's what the Bible is saying to us today. Do you believe in a God of a trickle or do you believe in a God of a, tr of a tidal wave? Do you want God to break through with a trickle in your life or do you want God to break through your, in your life with a tidal wave? The Bible says that you're filled with the Holy Spirit and that rivers of living water will flow out of you. The Bible says that, it, that in heaven it's not a trickle but there's a river of life that runs through the city of God. Listen, there is a river of breakthrough that God wants to bring into your life. Stop believing for a trickle and, stop, and start believing God for a, for a breakthrough in your life this morning. Somebody give God praise. How many of you remember the story of the Old Testament about the, uh, the, the, the widow, the, the woman who's all she has left in her house, she's about to die because all they have left is just a little jar with a little bit of oil. And God says to her, here's what you do through the prophet. He says, go to your neighbors, borrow all the empty jars you can get. And he says, don't get just a few. Get all that you can. And so she goes and she says, I need vessels. I need jars. I need whatever you have. Please let me borrow. And she borrowed everything she could get. And she goes out and she gets all these jars. And then they begin to pour the oil out of her one little jar into these empty vessels. And then when she does that, when does the oil run out? Somebody tell me. It does. It eventually runs out. When she ran out of vessels. It stopped pouring it stopped pouring when she had filled the last vessel. Let me ask you this. Are you believing in a God that can fill a thimble? Are you believing in a God that can fill a five-gallon bucket? Or are you believing in a God that can fill oceans with a tidal wave of his breakthrough power in your life? If you want to break through in your life, the first thing to do is change your mindset, change your heart set, and believe in a bigger God. You have to believe that he's the God of breakthrough in your life. You have to believe that he's the God who can set you free. You have to believe that he's the God that can restore your marriage. You have to believe that he's the God who can supply your every need. That he's the God who can break every chain of addiction. That he's the God who can save your prodigal son or your prodigal daughter. That he's the God who can heal your body even if the doctors say there is no 
hope that, that he's the God who can open blinded eyes and can unstop deaf ears, that he's the God who binds up the brokenhearted, that he's the God who pro- proclaims freedom for the prisoner, that he's the God who can tear down every stronghold of the enemy, that he's the God who can break every fetter, that you have to believe that he's the God who can take a heart of stone and turn it into a heart that's soft and pliable in his hands. You have to believe that he's the God who can lift the cloud of depression and despair and discouragement from your life. You have to believe that he's the God who can do the impossible. Somebody say amen. Somebody praise praise God in this place. That's where it all starts. Maybe, Maybe you're here. Maybe you believed in a big God. But you know what my prayer for you today is? My prayer is that you would live today, leave today believing in a bigger God. That he can do even more than what you thought. And that you'll begin to pray bigger prayers. We're going to talk in a few weeks about praying uncommon prayers. But it all starts off with answering the question, how big is your God? Because you know what? You don't ask for big things out of a small God. Turn to your neighbor and say, believe in a bigger God. Everybody bow your your head, close your eyes. Heavenly Father.